Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of the Yard. Hope you had a good weekend. I did. I was lazy. And I, I told you guys to do all your honeydew stuff, and uh, I don't know that I did any of it. I don't. I, I've got a one major project that I've, I've got to get going. You know how it is. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I got something I've got to get done before uh, before Dana gets home. And... Um, I've started on it. I've started on it. I didn't just need to commit like a whole day to it and knock it out. You know how it works. But uh, anyway, it's going to be we're gonna, it's going to be a work weekend for me from now through uh, at least Memorial Day because college baseball season is uh, right around the corner. I guess this weekend we'll have that the final weekend, Super Bowl weekend, and then we'll get into uh, college baseball season here in under two weeks, man. We're going to talk a little bit about college baseball later in the show, but uh, I'm excited, man. I hope you guys are too. And you may have saw that Armani Larry recently, uh, Armani Larry recently named a preseason All-American. We signed some good guys, man. We did. Colton Ledbetter, Larry, those guys having great fall scrimmages. Mike Nemeth is uh, attending and reporting on each of those scrimmages. So if you're a jeanspage.com subscriber, you can go see how the new look Bulldogs are performing here in the spring inter-squad scrimmages, we get ready to go. One thing I'll tell you, too, and maybe it's because of the fact that I've coached baseball before. Maybe. And I've covered it for a long time. Don't overreact about scrimmage numbers. Don't. A lot of schools don't even make scrimmages open to the public. And then those that do, many of them don't have any media coverage. As Chris Amonis has told me before, you know, Steve, nobody else does this. Well, we do. You know, we're, we're, we're a baseball-crazy fan base, so we do. Baseball is a, a year-round deal around here. But there's a lot of situational stuff that pitchers and hitters are working on this time of year as your staff tries to figure out who they can trust. There are times that you'll put guys in difficult counts. There are times that you'll tell a pitcher, hey, I want you to work on this particular pitch. We're working slider today. I want you to prove you can throw it for a strike. 
And so you go through those drills and just kind of see how guys perform as you begin to kind of settle a lineup on your rotation. And so I just say that with a little bit of uh, you know, education, I guess. Don't overreact to scrimmage stats. Just don't. Now, of course, you know, a lot of times that you'll notice, guys that struggle in the fall and struggle in the spring, struggle in the season. But the good thing is we've got more bullets in the gun, so we don't have to keep trotting people out there that are ineffective. And there are some guys, too, that uh, kind of work on their way back into good health. So I just tell you that. Don't freak out about that stuff. Don't do it. Also, I'd like to congratulate the Prince of Darkness, His Highness Ozzy Osbourne, won two Grammys last night. And that's the thing, too. I've been kind of anti-Grammys for a while. I mean, it really dates back decades and yes, I'm still bitter about it. You know, Jethro Tull won the first metal Grammy over Metallica. And then the next year, they make it up and give it to Metallica, even though Metallica didn't have any record out. So they haven't always done a great job. They did get this right, though. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne, the winner of two Grammys last night, best metal performance, and also best rock album for Patient Number 9. We have talked about that album on the show. You know I'm an Ozzy fan. I've got an Ozzy tattoo, got Ozzy shirts, got a bunch of Ozzy CDs. But Ozzy's been nominated 12 times and has won five Grammys. And what's interesting, too, it just kind of shows the bias, you know, against our music, you know, metal. You know, for years and years and years, they had no heavy metal category. And then rock music was considered basically like pop rock. You know, it would be, you know, not that I don't love Journey and Foreigner and people like that, but it was radio-friendly rock. You didn't have Motley, you didn't have Guns, and of course, you know, we won a lot of uh, American Music Awards and MTV Awards and things like that, but the, the Grammys for years and years and years looked down their nose at who was really selling records, and then it wasn't until later they established the metal category, and then they screwed that up, of course, given Jethro Toll the award. Uh, but Ozzy now has won five. Uh, I know he's won um, I Don't Want to Change the World, and I know I Don't Want to Stop was nominated. He's won a couple times with Black Sabbath. But uh, he wins as a solo artist. And again, if you don't have the Patient Number 9 album, there's a lot of great guest spots on that album. Check it out. It's true to the Ozzy catalog. You know, a lot of people are getting older, right? And so it's taking more effort, I guess, to, to produce great records. But Ozzy also too recently announced that he would not be touring anymore. And we lost Mick Mars recently from Motley Crue. He's being replaced by John Five as Motley plans a world tour, and, and Mick sadly can't tour anymore. So Ozzy is going to do some residencies from time to time. That hasn't been officially announced, but a friend of mine in the industry said he'll do a Vegas residency and then he'll go across and, uh, and he'll go to England, and he'll do like a month of shows there, and that'll pretty much be it. He's not going to tour the world anymore. He's just going to do like maybe a month at a time. And so maybe it gives us a chance to get out to, uh, to Vegas and see Ozzy. And, and the truth of the matter is I've never seen Ozzy play live. As crazy as that sounds, I've never seen Ozzy play live. I didn't go to OzFest. There were times I could have gone, didn't go, couldn't work it out. So when they do announce those dates, I know there's going to be expensive tickets, but I'm going to go watch I owe it to myself, right? It's a, but there are a lot of bucket list bands, right? There's not many left for me, to be quite honest with you. There's some new bands that pop up. I'm thinking, man, I want to go see these guys. Oh, they're going to be five hours away. And, you know, I don't know. But of the headliners, I've seen just about everybody. 
just about. I hadn't seen Lenny Kravitz yet. I want to see Lenny. I love Lenny Kravitz. One of the reasons I have dreads, Lenny Kravitz. I think Lenny Kravitz may be the coolest guy on the planet. Him or Nikki Six. It depends on my mood, right? Uh, but the reality of it is, is uh, a lot of our heroes are stopping touring, and at some point they're going to retire officially, and we're not going to have a chance to go see them play live. So I encourage you, as always, when you have the chance to go, no matter your genre of choice, it doesn't matter if it's rock or country or rap, R&B, whatever, many of the giants of our youth are getting older, retiring, passing along, and you're going to lose the opportunity to see them live. So take it, make the effort to go. A lot of these flash in the pan bands, you know, you, six months now, you only remember who they're called and what they're called. But Ozzy Osbourne, congratulations to the Prince of Darkness. You know, we couldn't do a show without tip of the cap to the guy in many respects kind of created heavy metal. He did. And we had an interesting discussion about that recently. Uh, I, I, I will tell you, I think Black Sabbath was the first truly commercially successful heavy metal band. And a lot of people, like this came up, somebody said, hey, well, what about Iron Butterfly? And they were a predecessor in many respects to Black Sabbath. They just didn't have the same commercial appeal. Of course, there's Inagata De Vida, right? And it's a great song, right? It's on the Lesson Zero soundtrack as covered by Slayer, I think. But uh, they didn't have the same commercial appeal. And so, again, in, in my estimation, I would give Black Sabbath the nod as the band that really started it all. You may disagree, but that's my, that's my opinion. Hey, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I had a conversation with John Bean earlier. I've told you guys before, Ian, my youngest, he will make me an empty nester here in about uh, six months. And he's excited. Man, he's having a blast at Bulldog Burger Company. He told me the other day, he said, you know, Daddy, I, I could work here, like, through college. It's close to campus. He has a great, he's having a great experience. He made a lot of great friends down there. And so many of you have been nice to him as you've gone in there, and I appreciate that. He's a good kid. I don't know that I'd ever rank my kids, but of my kids, I think he probably has the kindest heart. I think he is the nicest to people. Not that, all my, not that any of my kids are rude, but I think he is the kind of guy that he wants everybody to have a good experience and everybody to get along and life to go well for everybody. He just He's not a guy that, that looks for drama, you know. And he's having a great experience at Bulldog Burger Company. And if you're looking for a place to work, I'm telling you, that you couldn't do better than that. And uh, that's one of the things John and I talked about. He's like, you know, it's like, you know, we want to hire hospitable people and then be hospitable to them. It makes a difference, man. It really does. I got a lot of friends that are restaurateurs, and they tell me how difficult it is to find staff, and, and it is. And when you find somebody, you want to hang on to them. And I'm just glad to know that uh, my kid is working at a great organization like this. And Audrey worked at Harvey's for years, and um, which I've told people before, it's my favorite restaurant in Starkville. But, but Audrey absolutely loved her Harvey's family, and uh, some of them even helped her move to Florida. I mean, just great people. And so... Listen, support this great organization, the Eat With Us group, Bulldog Burger Company, of course, the sponsor of this show. And John says things are going great. Business is booming, right? And you want to stick with the winners, so stick with Bulldog Burger Company. Go by today, have that great restaurant-quality hamburger. Get the spring rolls as your appetizer. I'm not going to keep telling you. Many of you, I need to make it like a commandment or something. It makes you better looking, and you need it, okay? It's in writing. Trust the science. Get that chocolate shake to go. Maybe get that bread pudding to take home. It's a great experience. And I'll tell you, the, um, they run a happy hour special from 3 to 6. 
Maybe you're unaware of that. Yeah, happy hour three to six. If you're getting out of class early or getting off work early and you want to get your weekend started early or just maybe have a, a relaxing moment to yourself and go by and have an adult beverage, you can do that. Got some cool things coming up, too. They're going to do some tap takeovers. We'll have more information about that uh, in the weeks to come. But three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and Lake Harbor Drive. The patios will be open soon, too, and get ready. As the weather begins to warm, you have a chance those patio areas will be rolling. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Do you feel that? I mean, honestly, I mean, like, do, do you feel it? Do you smell something in the air? It feels like a fall day outside. Sun's shining, but there's still a little bit of a chill in the air. And it's like, man, this is great. I could almost wear shorts. But there's something else out there. There's something else in the air. And it is the excitement level of Bulldog basketball. Told you guys on Friday's show we had a chance to win that game. And I'll be honest with you, we played better than I ever anticipated. I think top to bottom, this was our best performance of the year. On both ends of the floor, it's so encouraging to see. And the broadcast talked about it, you know, about how we had such a difficult schedule. I mean, think about this for a second. I mean, just, you know, you look at the first, yeah, you know, eight games, you get Alabama twice, you get Tennessee twice, you got to go up with a rivalry game, you got to go on the road, play – and play Georgia, that's a bad loss, and you got to go play Auburn. But you know, we said on the show many times it was a very difficult first half of the schedule, but things were going to flip for us in the second half. We had a chance to put some games together. And Missouri, of course, a team that's played exceptionally well in the SEC. Bulldogs now winners of three in a row. 81-74 winners in overtime over number 11 TCU. And I think in many respects, that's probably the game that many of us will kind of point to. I don't know how many of us expected us to win that game. I didn't. I'll be honest with you. I, I thought we would play tough like we always do, and then in the end, they would find a way to pull it out. I remember Cam Matthews saying in postgame, you know, if we hadn't won this one, I don't know what would have happened. I think that was a, a turning point in many respects. And I think so many of us are like, you know what? Hey, this team is competitive. Chris Jans has got him playing well. We just need a shooter or two. We just need something to feel good about. Well, then we got that. And then we go on the road and win in the SEC. And I know South Carolina's not good this year. I get it. But anytime that you go on the road in this league, in any sport, and you win a game, especially a game we win by 15, the game was never really in question, it makes you feel good. And then you get the next big test. You get a Missouri team that came in that won three in a row. They were absolutely red hot. Had some big wins this year. That Iowa State win kind of looms large today, too. And I won't say we dominated a game, but we controlled the game. State never trailed in this game. And at no point did it ever really feel like Missouri was going to challenge. Every so often they kind of cut the lead down a little bit, but it never really felt like we were in trouble. State is a 33-27 leader at the break, and then we outscore them 30-25 to in the second half to win the game by 11. 63-52. State now 15-8 and 3-7 and and in the league in Missouri. 17-6, and six, now 5-5 five and five in the league. But let's look at a couple things here. There were a couple stretches here, you know, where you know, we, we could have folded a little bit. And, again, that's the thing that throughout this season, this is how it's felt. This is a tough Mississippi State basketball team. Not especially skilled on the offensive end, but we're a tough team. We're not going to quit. We're going to keep coming. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep rebounding. We're going to keep defending at an elite level. 
And we absolutely did. We defended so well on Saturday. So well. But you look at this situation here. I mean, you're just two minutes gone there in the, uh, in the second half. You know, State's up a dozen at 41-29, and you think we're about to run away with it. Missouri makes a little bit of a run. Uh, I guess not yet. We did stretch it out to 14. We did stretch it out to 14, and the next thing you know, you look up and it's back at single digits, and then just before, or just under 11 minutes, the lead is down to four points. And you kind of got the feeling, I saw some complaints about the commentators. I, 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 did, I was not especially disturbed by that. I, I, I didn't feel that way at all. I didn't think that they were biased, and as some of you do. And it seems like whenever the te- other team makes a run, it feels like they're rooting for the other team. There are some guys out there that I think get, get kind of caught up with that. I don't think it's anything intentional. But, uh, again, it's a four-point game here, and they've really put together a solid run. And you start thinking, you know what? We hadn't scored in several minutes here, and they've put together a 10 nothing run. We've got to answer. Well, we do at the free throw line. Uh, we make one of two. DJ Jeffries makes one. So pushes it back out to a five-point game, and that kind of got us going again. Next thing you know, you look up and we're up nine, then we're back up 11. And I think it, around the six-minute mark, I think we all felt like, you know what? We're in a good position here. And the way that we had played so well defensively, you start thinking, you know, unless we just collapse here, got a chance to win this game. This is a big win. And lo and behold, at the six-minute mark, we're up 11. And we hold them without a basket for the full minute. Like, they, they missed two three-pointers on back-to-back trips. And then we go down, and uh, Tower Stevenson, who has been amazing off the bench, that kid plays with so much energy. I love watching that kid play. And I love watching him and Tolu kind of react with one another, right? I mean, it's like they feed off each other. Tower Stevenson doing a, a great job for Mississippi State. Hits a little jumper here, makes it a 13-point game. And then we start making our free throws. You know, Tolu knocks down a couple. And so under four minutes, State is up 15. And you're just kind of wondering what the final score is going to be. We trade baskets with them a little bit. And then, and then it happened, right? Then it happened. And you know what I'm talking about. I tweeted it. It was, it was such a phenomenal play. So Cameron Matthews, who always gets caught doing something right. I love that kid. I love that guy's game. I mean, he is becoming a star. I remember when he first got here, you know, howling those guys put him on the floor because he was such a good defender and he's willing to set screens and he's willing to compete for rebounds. He's not going to fill up the box score, but he's going to help others. And uh, it was crazy. So Cam gets a steal here. Uh, picks DeAndre Golson's pocket, gets it out to DJ Jeffries, and then it's kind of like a game of takeaway on a 2-1 fast break, and then DJ lays it up, and then Shaquille brings down the house, and the hump exploded. The lead swells to 15, but it wasn't just the lead. It's an emphatic play like that. And, of course, they get down and hit a three, and we were still celebrating a little bit. We didn't get back on defense where we should. Give them credit. But I think at that point, that was kind of the exclamation point. It's not only are we going to win, we're good. We're fun. And it was, you know, for those of you that were at home, I know you wanted to turn that DVR back and watch it again. I did. I could not wait for that thing to hit social media to share it for all the people that missed it. We don't have a lot of guys, and we haven't had a lot of guys in recent years that can truly elevate. you got a 6-1 point guard out there heaving down an alley-oop from point-blank range. It was amazing, and it should have been an N one 
It was so fun to see that, right? And that's the thing, too. Isn't it fun that Bulldog basketball is fun again? Honestly, it is. And we can get in all these discussions. And I got, I got lured into one yesterday. You know, there's about funding, and we should do this for basketball and this for baseball. Okay, listen. Zach Selman's going to figure all that out. He'll have a vision for that. Let's just enjoy the moment. Let's enjoy the fact that Bulldog basketball is fun and exciting again. Because it is. And it, listen. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we were gritty and competitive. We were still losing games. And I, I give a lot of our fans a tremendous amount of credit. Rather than get negative, and there were a few that did, but by and large, a Bulldog fan base to say, you know what? We're not winning the way that I want to. But, man, we're playing hard. And you know at some point we're going to get a breakthrough. You know we're going to get a couple shooters in the years to come. But the foundation for the Jans culture is being laid. And I think, we, I think we enjoyed this Missouri game probably a little more than the other ones because we knew they were a quality opponent, but we controlled the game from start to finish. There was never really any doubt in the second half who was going to win this ball game. And there's Cam Matthews knocking down a couple free throws late, under two minutes to push it back out to 14. And then they hit a three-pointer with under a minute to play. But like those last couple of minutes, it, it was just a matter of academics, right? We're just running off the clock. And we controlled the ball, and uh, it was obvious they weren't going to foul. It's kind of like they're waving the white flag. And then all of a sudden, our people rise to their feet. Because I think our fans fully appreciated the quality of the, of the performance against a quality opponent. It's fun. It is. It's fun. And uh, according to the box score, 8,494 paid to see it. I don't believe that's the actual attendance. Um, not going to get into all that. But it was a great atmosphere. It was. And it's one of these things, too, we talk about this all the time, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, I'm not going to be negative and, and look in the past too much. But I mentioned this yesterday on the jeanspage.com message boards. And here's the, my opinion. Okay, you, you may disagree, and that's okay. I'll still like you. We can, we can have a difference of opinion and remain friends. We made some really bad decisions on the men's basketball side. For the better part of a decade, we have not handled men's basketball well. I'm not talking about funding. I'm not talking about renovation because you could make those arguments too. I'm talking about from an HR perspective. Now, you go back to the end of the Stansberry era, and we had gotten so we'd gotten spoiled with Rick. We had. I was a Stansberry fan, still am. But. We didn't handle the end of the Stansberry era well. 
Yeah, I, I made the comment that, um, you know, when um, Sydney and Bailey were out there fighting in the stands in Hawaii, in many respects, it wasn't just them beating on each other. They kind of beat the life out of some of our fans. It's like, you know what? This is embarrassing. It's one thing we can't even get out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. We can't make a Sweet 16. We won an SEC championship back in 04. We couldn't get over the hump, and now we've got a situation like this. And there were a lot of people then that said, you know what, hey, this is getting out of hand. It's embarrassing. And in hindsight, I think that was really kind of a turning point in our men's basketball program. And then we announced that Stansberry's retiring. And I know some people that were part of the search to replace Rick Stansberry, and they'll tell you the temperature around the Mississippi State job was not good. It wasn't good. And people say, well, why did we hire Rick Ray? Well, part of the reasons was because a lot of the candidates that we targeted didn't want to come here. Because the perception was is you couldn't win at Mississippi State without cheating, and then all of a sudden you've got Renardo Sidney out here. And in one, I was told, it's secondhand, of course, that one candidate said, I really would like the job, but what if I take the job, and then Renardo Sidney appears on outside the lines with some story to tell? It could crush my career. So we had a difficult time finding somebody. People were like, well, we could have got so-and-so. We could have got so-and-so. You know, that's easy to say now. We hired Rick Ray. We wandered in the wilderness for a while. Scott Strickland then made a decision. You know, Rick Ray was scheduled to come back. And then all of a sudden, Ben Hallen becomes available, and uh, his people reach out to ours. We make a late decision. I remember I was, uh, I was in Brookhaven when that happened. I got a phone call. It said, hey, we're about to make a coaching change. And I called Gene Swindoll, and I said, hey, I'm hearing Rick Ray is out. We're about to uh, make a coaching change. You're like, what? Because we'd kind of been given some assurances that Ray was going to get another year. Helen becomes available. had an impressive resume. He's won everywhere he's been. Scott Strickland obviously had to make that decision. I mean, it's like, hey, do you give Rick Ray another year to save his job? Or you've got a guy, you've got a Final Four coach. It's wanting your job. you got to make that decision. It turned out. It turned out it didn't work out for us. I'm not going to sit here even in hindsight and say it was a bad decision. When you've got a guy with that kind of resume that's interested in your job and you've got a lame duck coach, you basically just elevate your time frame a little bit and you make the call. So Scott made the only decision that I think he could have made at the time. It did not work out. I don't know how much gas Howen had left in the tank. I don't know if this is he wanted to get out of broadcasting and get into coaching to get uh, the retirement score. I don't know what his motivation was. Maybe he just simply missed the game. But it didn't work out. And I've said on the show before, when we lost to Liberty with a roster that had eventually three NBA players on it, <clears throat> it was over. That team was capable of making a Sweet 16. And we get upset in the first round after not having been there in forever and a day. At that point, it was over because the roster was going to flip in many respects. And you had climbed and climbed and scratched and clawed. You put together a great season and you get out coached in the tournament. It was over at that point. And it was just a matter of what year we're going to fire him. When could we afford to fire him? And so I think all of that, I think there was a lot of Ben Howland fatigue and, and you hate to make it so personal, but I think, you know, Ben did not embrace this fan base. Ben did not interact with our fan base. He was not a part of our community. He was here to do a job. 
And had he done that job well, I think everybody would have been okay with that arrangement. He did not do a good job. And every single year we have all this traffic in the portal. And, you know, and, and that's – we were having a bunch of transfers before it was cool. Right? And then we get Christians. I always thought Ben Howland was an interesting cultural fit here. And, and listen, that, that's not in any way a shot at, at who he is as a person. He's a, he's a West Coast guy. And so Starkville is not necessarily – to be all end all to people that maybe have lived in metropolitan cities. I get it. Starville's not for everybody, but it is for Christians. I was told in the interview process, Christian said, you know what? I grew up on a double wide trailer on a dirt road. He was born to coach at Mississippi state, right? Not that we're all a bunch of rednecks, but this is a guy that has worked himself up the ranks of the coaching profession. He has a very blue collar appeal to him. I think it resonates with our players and with our donorship. I think we respect the fact that, hey, this is a self-made man. This is a guy that's done it through hard work. He's not getting by on the fact that maybe perhaps that he was an elite college player, an elite pro player, or perhaps he was a guy that uh, you know, had a famous dad. I mean, this is a guy that made himself. And so it's easy to get behind that. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so fun to cheer for Mississippi State because we feel like Christian's one of us. And in many respects, he is. And now officially he is, at least, uh, you know, it's a job. But I think Chris Jans fits here. And I think what you're seeing is really the genesis of the new Mississippi State men's basketball program. Real quickly, looking at the, the numbers here, Tolu Smith, your SEC Player of the Week for the second time this year. A great game for Tolu. And it's been building. He's been much more consistent here the last couple of weeks. 25 points, 12 rebounds, uh, 9 of 12 from the line. Strike it up. 8 of 12 from the floor, just the two personal fouls. He played 35 minutes. And Will McNair played some too. Will, not really as effective, got a little foul trouble in his time out there. But basically, Will kind of working as a uh, as a guy to give Toe a little bit of a break, kind of keep him fresh. It worked out well. DJ Jeffries, I thought, had a decent game. A couple of ill-advised threes, but 10 points and nine boards. If we're going to get that from DJ, we're going to win more times than not. Cam Matthews also double-digit scoring. 10 points for him, seven rebounds. Shaquille Moore, just the eight points. But, man, he absolutely electrified the crowd and knocked down a pair of three-point shots. Deshaun Davis did not score. And you know what? It's okay. You know, we didn't need him to, but the game plan was to get the ball in the interior. The game plan was to get the ball down to Tola, who was who was a magician with his footwork down there. But Deshaun Davis, you know, you, you when you've got three double-digit scores, somebody's going to sag a little bit. And then Tyler Stevenson comes off the bench as your sixth man, and he's also a double-digit scorer. So you had five Bulldogs score, and one of the starters is not one of them. That is, again, not a criticism of Deshaun in any way. I mean, there have been some games that Deshaun has, has carried us down the stretch. But Tyra Stevenson, four of eight from the floor, knocked down a couple free throws, pulled down a couple boards, 63 points. And uh, listen, Eric Reed is struggling. And uh, I give Chris Jans a lot of credit to, you know, it's like, hey, let's let him work through it. And I believe it's what one of his last 22. He attempted six three-point baskets. He missed them all. Five of the six were very, very makeable. You know what I'm saying? It's like he's not missing by much. Maybe it's a confidence issue. Maybe it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy with him. But there doesn't appear to be anything mechanically you look at. It's wrong with his shot. There was one time he really rushed it, and he missed that one a little bit uh, a little bit greater margin. 
But yeah, I mean, and listen, I've read some comments. People are like, hey, you shouldn't shoot. Well, that's the only way you get out of it, right? I mean, because again, I think a lot of it is mental. I think once he gets the first one to drop, I think he'll, you know, he'll, he'll kind of get going again. We signed him for this reason. We signed him to be the long-range assassin. And so we need to get him going. We can't just put him on the end of the bench and just say, okay, well, that's over with. No, we got to let him get through it. And I, and I give Chris Jans a lot of credit. When the game was separated a little bit, let's put him in there and let him play a little bit and see if he can find some rhythm. So I, I, I do not question that in any way whatsoever. And Eric's going to help us win some ball games. I mean, it hasn't worked out the way that we'd hoped, but uh, I'm still hopeful the Jans and the crew can get him turned around. But State, 42% shooting from the, from the floor as a team. And, of course, six of those are the 0 for 6, uh, you know, for, for Eric. But, um, again, just kind of work your way through it. Just 15% from beyond the arc, 3 of 20 as a team. A couple of those, you know, Shaquille Moore. And free throw shooting continues to get better. We talk about it when it's a problem. We're going to talk about it when it's improving. And, again, this is, this is coaching. When you're not making free throws, it's coaching. When you're making free throws, it's coaching. Now, of course, players have got to go out there and execute. But, you know, when coaches harp on items, they get better. It's like I heard this guy say this years ago. I don't know who told me this, but I always remember this. Whatever is measured improves. And so all of a sudden, we begin to recognize a deficiency here. We allocate more practice time to it. We talk about it. We make it a bigger part of the conversation. And now free throw shooting is improving. 9 of 11 in the first half, 9 of 14 in the second half, and part of that's fatigue. But 18 of 25, we shot 72%. We can do better, but the reality of it is is uh, we're, we're improving as a free-throw shooting team. And as, as close as these games get, as competitive as they are and gritty as they are, we've got to be able to make free-throws because down the stretch, games are going to be tied. And again, Missouri never led in the ball game. It was tied once, and uh, I believe that was at 0-0. That's correct. I think it was 8-1, to one. It, and we got rolling pretty good there, right? But at 32 points in the paint for the Bulldogs, 12 off turnover, 6 second chance points, 3 on the fast break, and then uh, 10 from the bench, all from Tower Stevenson. So a great game for Mississippi State. We'll be back in action against LSU. It's like the, uh, you know, <laughs> the clash of the titans of the Mississippi State head coaching finalist. And LSU, they're decent, right? That's going to be Wednesday night in Humphrey Coliseum. Reminder, students, this is the um, – go to the Mize for the pregame. This is the pump it up night. I don't know what kind of uh, joy you're going to have for what they have planned for you, but if they put it on a schedule, it's probably worth looking at. I mean, you're college kids anyway, right? Turn out and have a good time. I mean, that's, that's what you, your parents want you to have a good time. But LSU, 12-11 and 11 overall. We're going, to, we're going to talk about Tigers more on Wednesday. But uh, one and nine in the conference, they have lost ten games in a row. It's a game we got to have. Absolutely, got it. You got to extend this uh, this streak to four games. You absolutely have to. And there's no reason we shouldn't. And look, we knew LSU wasn't going to be good this year, with all they lost and all the problems that are kind of circling around that program. And all of a sudden, they get off to the you know, they get off to that big start. You know, they they start the year 5-0, and oh, and everybody's like, well, hey, look at this. And then we get into conference play, and uh, it's been tough. But, again, we'll talk more about the Tigers on Wednesday. But, uh, again, encourage the students to get out. Go enjoy that. Whatever pump it, night is, pump it up night is, it's going to depend on you. You go pump it up. And let's go win a basketball game. And how cool would that be? Like, all of a sudden, you won four in a row. And all of a sudden, it gets a little tighter in the student section. The line gets a little bit longer. It takes a little bit uh, 
more of an effort to go get your nachos, right? That's what we want. We want the hump to roll again. We want the hump to roll. And all of a sudden you start thinking, we got some winnable games, man. We got some winnable games on this schedule, and they're not all gimmies by any stretch of the imagination, but we got to win the game if we're supposed to. But can you imagine winning four in a row and the confidence level the team will have headed to Fayetteville? And we're going to need it. Arkansas is a very good program. They always have been, and their fans love basketball. So we got to go take care of LSU first, but uh, I, I certainly like our chances in Fayetteville a lot more with a full head of steam. I know you guys do as well. All right, time for today's top 10 list is always brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler is my friend. Matter of fact, he texted me this morning. He didn't just text me to see how I'm doing or anything, though, right? Blair. Now, nah, Blair's my buddy. I love Blair and his family to death. Uh, Blair's got an up-and-coming baseball player in his family, Finn. Finn Chandler. Remember the name? Shout out to my homeboy, Finn. We've had lunch and breakfast together a few times. I like it when Finn's around, man. Finn and I have watched some ball games together. But listen, Blair's a guy that's got a family, but uh, listen, he wants you to help, help take care of yours, right? He wants you to have the opportunity to have something that is almost impossible to put a price on. It's a place to call home. You may have lived in a lot of houses, but maybe you hadn't been home since you left your parents' home. Or maybe in your family, that's just never been something you've been able to enjoy. Let's make some difficult decisions today. Let's think about the longevity. Kind of change your family tree forever where perhaps uh, the dream of home ownership is now an expectation, right? Maybe you're looking to refi. I don't know. Maybe now's not the time. But if you're on the hamster wheel of renting and making somebody else rich, maybe it's time you got off. Visit CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com to learn more about his services. Top 1% close ratio in the country, 21 years of experience. Works at Fairway Mortgage, a reputable mortgage lender. A lot of people out there kind of working for subprime lenders, charging you big rates, big fees, trying to exploit you as best they can. Blair's a pro, man. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. And let him know you heard about him on the boneyard. And if you do, he's going to pay for your appraisal, about a $500 value. So whether it be by text or call or email or whatever, just let him know, hey, Blair, I heard about you on the boneyard. And Blair's like, you know what? I got you. I'll take care of this appraisal for you. Be sure and check it out today. Close at Blair.com. All right, top 10. We have had this suggestion many, many times. I would say 20 or more. And for some reason, I just never committed the time and effort to it. And then over the weekend, somebody else, I don't know who it was. I'd like to give you credit, but I don't remember. So I love you. I don't love you enough to go back through my Twitter mentions and find it, though, okay? Um, it's a busy day. I got a lot going on. All right, so, but anyway, it's top baselines. Now, here's the thing, too. I'm a guy that likes rap. I'm a guy that likes some R&B. Of course, I'm a rock guy first and foremost. So I had to kind of narrow this down, and maybe we come back at a later date and we do the funky baselines, right? Right? There's so many great baselines. I, I could go back to straight out of Compton and probably just do a show about the baselines on that. But uh, these are baselines from rock songs, okay? These are actual instrumentation. It's not a, a DJ or a, a computer or anything like that. Um, and we'd probably have to work in some Luke Skywalker, too. 
when we do the funky baselines list. So Roy, put that on the list. We're going to do the funky baselines list at some point too. But these are rock. So there are a couple of bass players on this list that could have comprised the entire list because they're so talented. Now, so there's not going to be any duplicates. What I mean by that is one baseball, one bass player, one song, because it wouldn't be fair. I mean, just simple as that. It wouldn't wouldn't be fair because there are some people out there that are just absolute magicians. One of the guys that I didn't put on the list that maybe I should have is Billy Sheehan. Billy, of course, uh, was with Talis and then uh, the bass player in the David Lee Roth Band, and now he's out with the Winery Dogs. Of course, that's uh, Richie Kotzen and Mike Portnoy. It's a great power trio if you're unfamiliar with them. I encourage dial up the Winery Dogs. Billy is phenomenal. And if we had an honorable mention for Billy, I'd have to pick Addicted to That Rush from Mr. Big. Absolutely phenomenal. I, I, I love the Mr. Big catalog. I love Eric Martin as a singer. Paul Gilbert was a phenomenal guitar player. But I didn't have Billy Sheehan on the list. And there's no Nicky Six. Now, I'll be honest with you, I think Nicky is a very good bass player. I've never I've seen him more as like the leader of Motley Crue, the lyricist. I've never seen him in the same level as some other guys. And so, and that don't tell him. I love his bass playing. I just don't think it's real technical, right? I uh, didn't have Duff McKagan on the list for kind of the same thing, and Duff's one of the coolest guys in rock music. But uh, some honorable mentions to some, some people that didn't make our list today. But of those three, if I was putting the band together today, I'm, I'm picking Billy Sheehan. All right, number 10. I'm not a fan of this style of music, to be quite honest with you. <clears throat> I think it is kind of gratuitous, uh, self-esteeming type stuff. So I'm not a big Primus fan. But I, you can't have a list of bass players or bass lines without mentioning Les Claypool. The guy's phenomenal, phenomenal, in the words of Ben Howen, incredibly talented. I think it's just a little over the top. I know some of you like Primus because it's different, and I get that. I just never really got it, even though I have the album Pork Soda. I kind of got you know suckered into that. And so we're going to go with a track off that album called My Name is Mud. And the bass line of that is crazy. It's phenomenal. All right, number nine. And Flea is one of my favorite bass players. I like the funk. I like uh, the tapping. I like the fact that Flea is a great showman. And I like the fact that he and Anthony Kiedis have been so close for so many years and really look out for each other. So we're going with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And and you could pick any number of songs here. This is one of those songs, you know, that just you look at one of those artists and you say, you know what? What do you pick? I'm going with Give It Away because I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. But um, I love the intro to uh, Higher Ground. You know, they covered a Stevie Wonder song, and uh, it was incredible. And I think Flea is really the shining moment on that track. Number eight. Now, this is different than the rest of the tracks on this list. And part of the reason is, and I don't know technically if it's uh, if it's on the level as some other ones, but I think the baseline on this song, this iconic song, is not truly appreciated the way that it should be. Because number one, the song, The Chain from Fleetwood Mac is an absolute masterpiece. But I love when they break it down late and then John McVie just brings it back. The bass line is so pronounced on this song, I think it deserves inclusion on our list. And John McVie, a phenomenal player. Phenomenal. And there's so many people, it's like, you know, 
we talk about Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham and you know Christine McVie, Mick Fleetwood in some respects. I think John, I think John McVie is is kind of the most unheralded member of the band. He was a founding member, but I think John's shining moment is the chain from Fleetwood Mac, number eight. Number seven, one of my favorite bass players of all time is Steve Harris from Iron Maiden. And so I thought about this. I mean, what do we do? <clears throat> How do we pick one Steve Harris song? So I Googled Steve Harris bass lines and found an interview with Steve Harris. And he listed his top five. Run to the Hills is on there too, but we just had Run to the Hills last week on the show. We're going back all the way back to 1980, the Killers album. It's Phantom of the Opera. Steve Harris says that is his favorite bass line that he has ever written and performed. So Phantom of the Opera from Iron Maiden is number seven. And I don't know that that's been on, ever been on the show before, so it's a first today. So we love Steve Harris, and so we're going to defer to Steve Harris's expertise about his own blade. He says this is the number one. That's number one. Number six, and uh, as I Googled top bass lines, this song was not mentioned, and I think it's a crime. Because I think Gene Simmons is underappreciated as a bass player. And because Gene's a guy that can kind of get in the pocket and just kind of lay it down for you. You know, he's not real flashy. But he's a guy that can really play. He's a guy that can sing. He's a guy that can really, really write lyrics. But there is a bit of a, uh, a run in this song that I think in many ways kind of becomes the signature of the song. It's Detroit Rock City from Kiss. It's one of the most recognizable bass lines in the history of rock music. Dun, 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 dun. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's like, when you put that on, the, the, there are so many layers to that song, not just the story, not just Paul's amazing vocals, not just Ace. To me, Detroit Rock City is one of those songs where you had four incredible musicians in absolute synergy. And I think Gene probably shine more on this than anything else. Detroit Rock City from Kiss, your number six song. Number five, I would be remiss if we didn't mention Cliff Burton from Metallica. It's a shame we lost Cliff at such a young age. And sometimes I wonder what rock music would look like today if Cliff had lived. And you can say that about many musicians. But, you know, Cliff was a guy in the early days of thrash. He was the guy. Everybody tried to emulate and mimic what he did. He was the guy. And there were a lot of people out there that, you know, will, will tell you this is the best baseline uh, from, from Cliff. And so I'm going to go with the one a little closer to home for us. We're going for Home to Bell Tolls uh, from Cliff Burton and Metallica. And uh, if you haven't seen Cliff them all, this, it's basically a documentary and it shows some live footage of Cliff um, and talks about his death. And, uh, you know, it's the thing, too. There's so many people out there that are living life recklessly and, and Cliff dies in a tragic bus accident, you know. It's a shame. It really is. Not that Metallica hadn't made the most of it. Not that Metallica hadn't put an amazing career together. But Cliff Burton was, a, was, was kind of the backbone of that band early on. All right, number four. And everybody's heard this song, and not everybody remembers the name to it. But you talk about incredible bass lines. You talk about stuff that's difficult to replicate. I mean, a lot of people can just go be and play two and three chord progressions. Can you lay down 
Roundabout from yes, I submit you probably can't. You talk about a bass player at the highest level of his game. This is it. Yes is roundabout, and I love the acoustic intro to this. This is one of those songs, there's just so much going on. And Yes is kind of underappreciated, too. They were a prog band in many respects, but uh, Roundabout is one of those songs you want to hear some elite musicians play at a high level. You put this track on, you'll be glad you did. Number three, a little more modern here. We're not going to go all classic rock. One of my favorite bands, one of your favorite bands, and if they're not, they certainly should be. It's Tool. That's right. And we could go a lot of different directions with this. We could. My favorite Tool song is Vicarious. It is. I love that song. I love the attitude in it. Uh, I love Enema. Love that one. I love The Pot. There's some, I, I can talk about Tool all day. But to me, the most memorable bass line in the Tool catalog is Schism. Schism. Absolutely phenomenal. It's to hear a guy, again, like that, make the sounds with a bass guitar like that, almost make it sound like a, a, a six-string. It's incredible. All right, number two, we're going back to classic rock here. You had to work in Queens somewhere. You had to get Deaky on here. Could have gone with Under Pressure. There's so many good things. There's so many great bass lines John Deacon laid down, but we're going to go with the song that he wrote. And if you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's another one, Bites of Dust, from Queen. And for a long time, that was my favorite song. Because, you know, the very first lyric is Steve Waltz swirly down the street with his brim pulled way down low. That was me. No, it really wasn't, but I identified with that, obviously. But this is the first record I ever bought with my own money. It was Queen the Game. For this song, Another One Bites of Dust. I was a huge Freddie Mercury fan. Back when it wasn't popular in the Bible Belt to be a fan of Freddie Mercury and Queen. Because we were always so judgmental, and I was so conflicted by that. It's like, I, I love the music. You don't even know this guy. Why are you talking so negatively about him? Well, I don't approve of his lifestyle. Well, who, who needed your approval? I can't just enjoy the music. Why do I have to sit out here and give a dissertation about the life somebody else chooses to lead? Why can't I just appreciate the art? And so I won in that one. But another one bites of dust and queen number two on your list. Number one, though, and Roy and I traded some texts about this. Gaddy Lee from Rush, he is that guy. He is from, I'm not a huge Rush fan. I like Rush. I appreciate Rush. But when you look at the, the catalog that Gaddy Lee and Rush has put together over the years, and there are a lot of people that repeat like their own behavior, right? They just kind of mimic themselves and cover themselves. That's just not the case with Rush. Everything is brand new. And you had Neil Peart, of course, who was uh, an incredible poet, incredible lyricist and what rush does is so complicated and so technical and so intricate and rather than the bass guitar being just kind of a support instrument getty lee made it a featured instrument i know some of you are going to be disappointed in my pick and that's okay because i don't think you can go wrong picking a rush song on a bass list right i went with free will I love Free Will. I think that may be my favorite Rush song. I love the vocal on it. I love the bass line. I love how it just explodes in the chorus. We could have put YYZ on here. We could have. We could have. It probably could have worked in a John Paul Jones and Led Zeppelin song, probably Ramble On or When the Levee Breaks and like that. We didn't do we didn't do that. So we throw an honorable mention here late in the show. But but Gaddy Lee and Rush, 
if you are into bass playing, you already probably have all these albums downloaded or on your on your catalog somewhere, right? Or you have the, the records themselves, maybe from back in the day. So an interesting topic, and I appreciate everybody. Many of you have said, Steve, thank God, finally, right? I hope I did the list justice because I know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to appear out of nowhere and say, Steve, you forgot about so-and-so. I'm like, ah, yeah, you did. I could probably throw a tip of the cap to Rudy Sarzo, too. Phenomenal player. Rudy Sarzo, of course, in Quiet Riot and Whitesnake. Tiny Katane says Rudy Sarzo, the nicest guy ever. 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 It's too bad that she's gone. It really is. I had some conversations here recently um, on social media with some fans of music. And uh, we were talking about Janie Lane. You know, it was recently uh, the anniversary of Janie Lane's birthday. It had been 59 this year. And uh, I told you guys before I had some interaction with Janie about recovery. We had uh, one chance to talk at the Texas Club in Baton Rouge. And um, I was just struck by how how sad a person he was. And uh, it's kind of a, a, a reminder for me that, you know, addiction's no um, respecter of persons. Misses a guy that married, at the time, the most beautiful girl in the world and uh, had his career on top of the world, and now he's playing the Texas Club in Baton Rouge. And um, anyway, I had a chance to talk to him. And uh, so we're, you know, we're kind of celebrating Jandy. We're telling our Jandy stories online. And uh, somebody had mentioned that uh, there was a time that he was uh, involved with a recovery group out in L.A., and Tawny was in the group too. And uh, I had some interaction with her online at times about recovery. And uh, she just never seemed to get it. And she was a person that didn't believe AA could ever work. And there were a lot of people in her life, I think, that were happy that she wasn't sober, to be quite honest with you. And um, matter of fact, there is something that means something to me now is um, on my Instagram account, I've got a picture of Ani playing baseball at Williams Baptist College. And uh, I just posted a picture and said, hey, I've got to see my favorite baseball player play today. And she commented. There was a time she followed me on Instagram. And um, I don't say all that to, to praise me in any way, but it's there are a lot of people out there that we respect and we hold in high esteem that are struggling with the same things we are. I think it's important to understand. At the end of the day, we're all garden variety. Some of us just have cooler jobs. But um, I'm very thankful for the relationships that I built in recovery and very grateful to, to still be alive today. And, yeah, listen, for those of you that have followed me, you know, last week or so, it's been difficult. You know, I told you guys last week that uh, you know, we had a family member have some issues, and, you know, we think we've got things stabilized now. But it reminds me how precious it all is, right? Like, you, you we take so many days for granted. And I don't want to get philosophical here too long with you, but uh, you know those days when nothing's going wrong? You know what I'm saying? Where everything seems to be okay? And there are not enough of those days. But there's always something to worry about. And if you're a person like me that's kind of a chronic worrier, which you know, I inherited that from my mom. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that times like these make you appreciate those. You know, it's like when I've just got my regular mundane problems to deal with, it's like, oh, i got to feed the dogs, or i got this, or I've got to travel here. You know, that, those are all part of life. But when you, when you come face-to-face with having to deal with a life-or-death situation, it kind of makes all that stuff seem so incredibly unimportant. And so it's one of the things I'm kind of committed to is when I have those days, right, when it's just a, like a regular day, I'm going to enjoy having a regular day. It takes an awful lot out of you. I know many of you are dealing with similar things, right? And some of you have challenges I don't even know about and, and would never 
And so my hope is that sometimes this show can be uplifting. I had a lot of people that reached out to me, I'd say a dozen or more over the weekend, you know, after Friday's show, you know, said, hey, you know, listen, I've been dealing with this, or I've got a, a friend that's dealt with this, or I've got, you know, somebody I work with. You know, guys, we've all got people around us we can pray for and support and lift up. We all do. And uh, I don't do enough of that. All right, this segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I know you guys are well aware of the selection available to you at Campus Bookmart. Next time you're in town, go by and see them and their smiling faces. They're happy to serve you. Doing a great job for a great fan base for many, many years. A Stark Brilliant institution, Campus Bookmart, your one-stop shop for all things maroon and white. Be sure and go by and check them out. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And being a loyal Boneyard listener, you'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than $75, absolutely incomplete. Absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right. Uh, the women are back in action tonight against the University of Tennessee. That is going to be a tough out for us, and uh, hopefully we have a good crowd there. The ladies now 15-7, and seven, but they have lost two in a row after winning three in a row, but 10-2 and two at home. And, of course, one of those losses came to number one South Carolina. If we can replicate that effort, we have a chance to win this game. But Tennessee already beat us, um, what, 80-69 to 69 up in Knoxville. So we get them back down here. Not necessarily a fun adventure, but, uh, you know, we haven't beaten Tennessee too many times in our history. I remember when we did, Dominic Dogenham with a big play late for us to beat Tennessee. But tonight is the Celebrate Women in Sports Night. There will be gifts, uh, I think. Maybe I'm wrong here. Yeah, Celebrate National Girls and Women in Sports Day with us. So, Nice recognition for our ladies. I am a big proponent of women's sports. And, um, you know, we had a lot of fun, you know, in the Vic Shea for years. And I think some more fun is on the way. I don't know if we ever recapture that spot as a national blue blood. But um, I like the way that our recruiting efforts are trending. And so I think that's an important aspect of it, too. I mean, you know, Sam's got to get his players in and get people to buy into his culture. He's got to get people that fit. And, uh, but, you know, again, I still think we have a chance to make the tournament, but we've got to get things going here. Tennessee now 17-8 and eight overall, 9-1 in the conference. Uh, you know, looking back here, you know, they, they took down Carson Newman in an exhibition game, and then they went on the road and got beat by 15th-ranked Ohio State. They beat UMass. They lose to number 11, Indiana. So a couple of big losses, but a very ambitious scheduling uh, for the crew up there in orange and white. They blast Rutgers by 40, and then they lose in Thompson Bowling Arena uh, to UCLA. So not a great start to the non-conference. They, you know, they head down to the Bahamas, and they lose by one to Gonzaga, and you're beginning to wonder if they're going to turn this thing around. Well, they put together a couple wins, and then they lose a three-point game to Virginia Tech, who was ranked in the top ten at the time. They blast Chattanooga by 30. They get Wright State. They beat Central Florida. And then they lose to number two, Stanford. But again, a lot of ranked opponents here in the non-conference schedule kind of getting them ready for the war that is the SEC schedule. Their final non-conference game before conference play began was a blowout win of Wofford. They take down Florida. They take down Alabama. 
They get us 80-69. to 69. They beat Vanderbilt in Nashville by 13. They beat A&M by a dozen. A&M not a great team this year, as you guys are well aware. They beat Georgia, a team that beat us. Just an inexcusable loss for us. They beat Florida. They beat Missouri. They lose to UConn. And I believe what will be the uh, final non-conference game of the schedule for them, and that is correct, until they get into uh, tournament play, uh, and lose by 17. They then lose to number three, LSU, 76-68. So when you start looking at these losses, they've primarily been the ranked teams. There's a couple here and there. You know, lost to UCLA, wasn't a ranked team. But they, they have been very ambitious in their scheduling and have kind of paid the price for it. They uh, After the loss to back-to-back losses to UConn and LSU, both of those ranked in the top five, they beat Ole Miss by 14, and then they will host us tonight. We'll see how things go. I'm curious – excuse me, we will host them tonight. I'm curious to see what Rakia Jackson's reception will be in Humphrey Coliseum. Now, we have a, an extremely classy fan base, especially on the women's side of things. So, I suspect, you know, we'll have some fans that will do a, uh, a nice ovation uh, for Rakia at some point. But, uh, you know, she's having a great year up there, averaging 17.7 points a game. So whatever issues she had when she was here, it appears that she's turning those things around. Of course, uh, there was a time after she got up there she was suspended for a little while, but it appears they've kind of got her turned around. So we, we will see her extensively in this ball game. Now, can the Lady Bulldogs get in her head a little bit and kind of get her off her game some? We'll see. Only two double-digit scores uh, on the average this year, and uh, Jordan Horston, one of them, averaging 15.7 points a game. But uh, Rakia only started about half of the games up there. She came off the bench for a while, but uh, she is going to be a prominent role, a prominent factor, and play a large role in this game, an especially skilled player. Unfortunately, things didn't work out uh, for her here, but uh, it will be interesting to see how we defense her. If there's any drama, I don't expect any, but uh, you know, you, you could see um, you you could see a little drama, I guess, in some respects. I I don't I just I'm not sure how to play it. You know what I'm saying? I, I think you know there is a mental aspect of the game. You want to get in people's heads and kind of get them off, but you also don't want to at the same time distract yourself, and that's always a possibility too. But uh, Rakia again putting together a great year up there, 132 rebounds for her, which is second most on the team. Second only to Jordan Horston, who has 154. She's kind of playing within herself, not really getting in a lot of foul trouble either. Um, so that, that's something to watch too. But uh, 29 assists, but also 59 turnovers. That's the second most turnovers on the team. So she's willing to give you the basketball. We, and we got to make her do that. we got we got to make her get out there and play. And uh, it'll be interesting, probably an emotional deal for her, to be back at Humphrey Coliseum after the way she left. And there were a lot of people, of course, that got blocked on Twitter uh, by Rakia and her mother for some negative comments about Rakia. But, you know, again, a lot of her issue wasn't really on the floor. You know, I mean, she's a very talented player. But, uh, you know, from a cultural standpoint, it wasn't a great fit for either side, and, and uh, she's moved on. And, and that was the thing last year when uh, Doug Novak and those guys announced that she was no longer a member of the team. It was more than mutual absolutely more than mutual and people are like I can't believe this is happening and I think the team really rallied without her around so I expect the Bulldogs to come out and bring their best effort I don't think there's any question about that we will come out ready to play and probably bound to determine not to let Rakia Jackson take over Humphrey Coliseum so 
Yeah, my hope is, again, that it is a very civil and cordial event. Uh, it doesn't serve anybody well when there's problems. But uh, that's something to kind of consider uh, as we get in. But the ladies, our ladies, <clears throat> you know, still a chance to do some big things. We've got to stop this losing streak, though. You know, Ole Miss, just simply a little bit better than us. They, they swept the series for the first time in forever, and then we had that just abysmal showing. But uh, we ought to have our legs under us. And we haven't played since January 29th. So we had a week to kind of work through some things, perhaps put in some new wrinkles, kind of some things you want to do defensively. And then on Thursday, the ladies will then travel to Florida and then host uh, Texas A&M on Sunday. So, you know, three chances for the ladies to kind of get some wins this week and a chance, two chances for you to see them in action in Humphrey Coliseum. So that's important to understand, too. You know, this is an important stretch for us. And, and you begin to think, okay, we, well, Tennessee is a tough out. A&M should be a win at our place, and then you've got to go to Florida. And so that's probably the swing game in many respects. You've got to try to find a way uh, to win that game. That's a very important game for us in many respects if we have hopes of making the NCAA tournament. Got to find a way to win that game. And, and listen, Florida has not been great this year, 14-9, 3-7 in the conference. And uh, we'll talk about that later in the week. But you start looking at the numbers here and you say, you know what? You got a chance to get two of three. You need to get two of three. You get two of three, and all of a sudden, you start feeling a whole lot better about your prospects. You get two of three, well, then you're six and six in the conference and 17 and eight overall, and it feels like 20 wins and a 500 finish is certainly possible. That's an important aspect in every bit of this. So we have a chance to kind of make some big things happen. Because when you start looking at the rest of the schedule, and, and there's not much left, you know, we got basically 20, day, 20 days left, 20, 20 days left in the regular season on the women's side, and uh, you're going to play, have six play dates, or seven play dates, those 20. So a lot of uh, women's basketball coming up for you. But this stretch, in many respects, may define the season. It's as simple as that. You can find a way to beat Tennessee, all of a sudden you make life a lot easier on you because you get a big boost in the net. But I'm not expecting it. But if you lose tonight, you got to wonder what that does to our psyche, losing three in a row and then having to go on the road to play a Florida game, a Florida team that's desperate for a win. So 6 p.m. tip tonight, that will be on the SEC Network. I hope that you can uh, attend the game. If not, certainly tune in. Uh, and support the ladies. And, uh, again, we're playing meaningful basketball, but we can make it more meaningful by winning two of these next three at least and then setting up, uh, you know, a good couple of weeks here with uh, at road games at Missouri, home at Alabama, against Alabama, home against Arkansas, at LSU uh, to round it out. And so you begin to think, you know, winnable games with maybe the exception of the road trip to LSU. So the games are there. The opportunities are there for us to move up in the standings and put ourselves in a position uh, to make the NCAA tournament. And that's certainly the hope. And so we wish the best for the uh, Lady Bulldogs tonight as they host the Lady Volunteers. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. You should too. Whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat or your primary residence, Portico has a place for you. Phase one's completely sold out. Phase two, underdeveloping now. Some of those homes are sold, but some remain available. Also, you have uh, lots to choose from. Maybe perhaps that you need a custom build, they can accommodate you with that. It doesn't have to be this cookie-cutter approach. Got some great Bulldogs involved with this project, bringing this wonderful residential development to the greater Starkville area. 
Give Brooks Bryan a call today at 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath, and really anything in between. Again, you have some flexibility there. Very easy to get to. Turn off 82 on the 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You go through the four-way stoppers portico on the right. Next time you're in town, maybe go see for yourself how cool a place that would be. And again, just the convenience to campus, just 1.1 miles away from all things Bulldog. That's always been the dream, right? To be able to be here and go to have season tickets to everything and be able to spend your evenings on the campus of Mississippi State University. You can make that dream a reality by making the move to Portico. Make it your next move. Okay. We talked about college baseball. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interview uh, Kyle Cheesebro tomorrow. That's the plan scheduled for 10 a.m. So you can look for that piece over at jeanspage.com. Should be tomorrow afternoon or evening, right? Um, interested to see how the SEC coaches' standings look. You know, it's one of those things that you put a little more uh, credence in that because they know the players. But uh, D1 Baseball is the one-stop shop for me. I'm a subscriber to D1 Baseball. I, I respect Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers immensely because they actually get out and go to games. They cover games. Uh, they're out in the fall. They go out and see players in action. There are a lot of people to cover college baseball that kind of do it from a distance. And uh, I respect people that make the effort because I'm a person that makes the effort. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to getting back on the road. I'm going to bring my wife with me sometimes and do some photography. I can't wait. She loves college baseball, too, and, and how, how couldn't you? But D1 Baseball has released their um, 2023 projections. So we'll start on the east. Number seven, they have Missouri, seventh. And considering the trouble they've given us the last two years, I'm glad we don't play them. Absolutely drives me crazy. And it does all of you, too. Number six is Kentucky. I think Kentucky might be a little bit better than that. You know, we'll see how it shakes out. I think Kentucky, uh, Nick Mangione, of course, I think needs to get the tournament this year. I think Nick's a guy that uh, has things, you know, going okay, but I think that a lot of people are kind of underwhelmed with, with so many other people in the conference routinely making the tournament. I think Nick is probably coaching for his job this year. And I hate it, but that's the reality. It's a business, right? All right, number five, according to D1 Baseball, is Georgia. I think Georgia could be one of these teams you look up and there are two seeds somewhere or they're a team that misses a tournament. I think there is a lot of variance in the expectations for Georgia. Now, Scott Strickland always has great pitching. They always have great offense, but when we went and played Georgia last year and we lost that series out there, and, and it felt like that may have been a harbinger to things to come, but Georgia was a good team last year. They were they had a frontline starter, had a good bullpen. They played really well in their own ballpark. And so I can see Georgia, honestly, I think that Georgia-Missouri series might be bigger than people anticipate. All right, South Carolina is picked fourth. I'm not a huge South Carolina guy. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I love the tradition of the program. Ray Tanner's done a lot for college baseball. I don't know that this team is as talented as a team last year. And, you know, that was one of those things last year. A lot of people wondered if they'd make a coaching change. They did. It's just one of those things like South Carolina has not been able to recapture the magic. And I don't think this team is especially talented. They had some veteran guys on a weekend last year 
They weren't great. They were really good, and at times just good, and other times they were average. But if you got in that bullpen, you had a chance to get to them. Now, they had a couple of big arms they, they saved for us uh, on Sunday a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, this is a South Carolina team that's uh, got a lot of pride and tradition. I just don't know if they have the talent to be where they need to be. Vanderbilt picked third in the East this year, and I think that's probably about right considering what they lost. You know, they were a team last year that scuffled a little bit, and I really felt that they would. I mean, people are like, oh, well, it's Vandy. Well, you don't lose Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter and get better. Had some good relievers last year. Didn't have a ton of offense, and that was one of the things that we exploited in 2021. They had some free-swinging guys that did not fit that big ballpark. And I think in many respects, I think people are kind of catching on to Vanderbilt a little bit. And, of course, there's still the scholarship situation. It is what it is. But I think Vandy is kind of coming back down to earth a little bit. A little bit. That's not to say with NIL they won't figure it out. I'm sure they will. Florida is picked second in the East. It's going to be interesting to see that Vanderbilt-Florida series. That may determine who's second in the East. And, of course, number one in the East is Tennessee. Now, Tennessee lost a lot last year. They return a lot this year. They've worked the portal hard. Uh, they've done a good job evaluating talent. Tony Botello is a alpha dog coach in every aspect. They've also announced, too, they've had to kind of push back their renovation a little bit. They went out and raised all this money, and, and the cost of materials have skyrocketed, as you guys are well aware. But now they're going to do it in phases, and it may be over years. You know, do one phase a year as they kind of roll this thing out. Tennessee, let's be honest about this, Tennessee has not really been committed to college baseball. I know Todd Helton had a great career there. Todd's given them some money. It looks good on TV, but if you've ever been there, it's not a very impressive stadium. It's not. That's not to say that as of late the fans haven't turned out and made it a great atmosphere. But the Tennessee administration has really let college baseball be treated like a stepchild. And when I was up there a couple of years ago, I talked with some people about that. And I said, you know, when you guys were investing in college baseball, we were investing in women's basketball. I'd say it worked out for them, right? Wouldn't you? But now they're kind of playing catch up. And uh, I think Tony is the guy, and with his vision, they will do the things necessary to kind of keep him there. Uh, and he's had a couple of opportunities in the last couple of years, is elected to stay there. And you may not know this, but Tony drives a Lamborghini down the streets in Knoxville, Tennessee. Kind of fits, doesn't it? But Tony's the guy, too, to get himself in trouble. you got to be careful if you're Tony. <laughs> All right, in the West, pick seventh in the West is Auburn. I think that's about right. I know some other people were saying, hey, well, you know, they made Omaha last year. Listen, the Ags we should have gone to years ago, and they had some major injuries on the pitching staff that really kind of put them behind the curve. Last year with Sonny Deshera, they made some big things happen. They did. Arguably the best transfer in the country last year. I don't know if anybody had more of an impact. They weren't able to replicate that this year. You're going to be missing some guys, too. And, you know, Butch is always going to have competitive pitchers. And so you got to be ready to go. But the reality of it is, is you get in that bullpen, things could be a little bit different. I know John and Butch will, uh, you know, will make more of a financial commitment over there, which Auburn needs. They need to finish that stadium before they need to do. Uh, but you got to get fans back. you got to justify the expenditure, right? <clears throat> All right, so then D1 Baseball has a sixth. I, I don't agree with that. But I also understand the reservation. 
you know, Mississippi State season is basically going to hinge on the, you know, the transfers. You've got a great recruiting class that's come in from a high school standpoint, a phenomenal. And you've got a couple of JUCO guys that should be able to compete. And then you've got some stopgap guys that are coming from the transfer portal. We mentioned Damani Larry is a guy that's a preseason All-American by one publication. That was the National College Baseball Writers Association. Guy's phenomenal. Colton Ledbetter is a guy that everybody in the country would have, would have wanted. And he comes to Mississippi State. And so it's important to kind of understand we need these guys, these transfers, to come in here and kind of get us over the hump while the young guys develop. It's as simple as that. We need these guys to get us back in a regional while Rice Highfield, Bradley Lofton, Gerangelo, uh, Sinjay, those guys, it won't, while those guys are developing, and there will be a learning curve for them this year. I think Ross is a guy that probably catches some in the midweek. Uh, he is your heir apparent to catcher in my estimation. And, of course, State went catcher heavy in the last class, and you can never have enough catchers. It's the truth. It's a very, very thankless job. requires a lot of physical skill. Uh, but I do think Ross is the f- a future star for us. So I think he gets his feet wet this year. But, you know, you need Luke Hancock to do a great job this year, and you turn the mask over to, to Ross next year. But I do think Ross is a guy that will catch some in the midweek and possibly on the weekends if we ever end up in a doubleheader situation. But like everybody else, it's going to hinge on pitching. We need Landon Gartman to be great. We don't just need him to be good. Uh, we need Nixon to be great. We need Nate Dom to be great. We need these new pieces to come in here and be great. And I think that's going to be the difference. And, and the West is so unforgiving, right? I mean, it, you, know, you look up, you know, the fourth, fifth best team in the West is capable of winning a regional. They picked Alabama ahead of us. I, I don't agree with that. I think we are better than Alabama. And so I would probably pick us fifth, to be quite honest with you. I'd pick us fifth. And I think that's enough to get us in a tournament. I think, you know, with a good weekend here or there, you, you probably end up fourth, maybe even third. Arkansas is pick fourth. I like Dave Van Horn. I like the commitment to baseball up there. I like the fact that uh, they have such amazing fan support. They're a lot like us. They love college baseball up there. And I would submit to you in many respects, they probably love it more than they love basketball especially when Arkansas is just average. But Musselman's done a great job up there, so they're, they're feeling good about that. But they're going to turn out. The hog pen's going to be full. Dave Van Horn is going to field a competitive baseball team every year he's at Arkansas. You just might as well expect that. Now, when you look at what they lost last year, what they have coming back, they're probably middle of the road in the West. And there are going to be some toss-up weekends that are going to be interesting. And how good's the pitching going to be? Right, I mean that's they're kind. Of, they have the same questions we have. Texas A&M is third in the West, and A&M last year, I don't know if they had the front line pitching to win an AFL championship. They certainly had, they certainly had enough pitching, I think, to get there and compete for an AFL championship. You know, they didn't. You know, they they had a good year. They got hot late. We helped them. But this is a team, too, that was heavy in the portal and kind of flipped their roster. But I could see them finishing anywhere from third to sixth. I think there are a lot of questions about this A&M team. I know they're a sexy team right now. People are saying, hey, they, they may be like a dark horse for Omaha, and they may be. But I think it's interesting, too, when you look at the, how the schedule flips for them. I don't think it's very advantageous. And they open up one of their first home series in the SEC. They get LSU the very first weekend. And so then you're kind of chasing the schedule, right? Well, then guess what? Next weekend you go to Tennessee. 
Do you expect A&M to win either of those series? I don't. I could see it. They could get swept. Honest to goodness. And then guess what? They get Texas in the midweek, and then they host defending national champion Ole Miss. So you're going to get three top five teams the first three SEC weekends, and then you got to go on the road to play Auburn. And we just need Auburn to get one, right? You know what I'm saying? Then Missouri goes there. They go to Kentucky. Then they got to go to Fayetteville. You got to go to Baum, who is also a top 10 team. Then you've got Florida coming into College Station the next weekend. Then you get Alabama, and then you travel to Duty Noble Field, the final series of the year. You look at that schedule, and you begin to kind of ask yourself, okay, how is this team projected to be this high in the conference? Predicted third? I just don't see it. Not to say they're not a good team, but that schedule is brutal. Absolutely. Absolutely brutal. And so I think A&M is going to actually take a step back this year. Again, I think they're a sexy team. They, they could piece it all together. I just think when you face that murderer's road that they're going to face the first month of the season, I think there's going to be a lot of people questioning themselves. Absolutely. And, you, you know, you'd like, you'd like to be able to, you know, to play the lower half of the conference. And you, you thankfully, because um, – the way the schedule works, you get Kentucky, Missouri, but you also get Florida and Tennessee on the other end. It's crazy. And of course, you got player body in the West. I think the schedule is going to beat the Aggies up. And so I actually could see State finishing ahead of AM. Ole Miss picked second in the West, and then LSU picked first. And LSU, I think in many respects, we'd all agree, probably you know, the best portal class on paper. But there are a lot of questions. I'm not a Christian Little fan. I think Cameron Young is a guy that's got a hole in his swing. But you got Tommy Tanks. You got Paul Skeens. And I don't think anybody could argue that um, LSU did a great job in the portal. They absolutely did. But I think this LSU team is going to be a different ball club away from their ballpark. And that's the thing, too, when you begin to kind of break down the schedule. We have to go down there. We have to go down there, which makes it awfully difficult. Now, we can hit some home runs, too, but that is – Alex Box Stadium is among the toughest places to play in the country, especially when LSU's playing well. The expectations are high, so the crowds are going to be big. It's pretty remarkable to think about. But uh, to kind of get to the Rebels here for a second, you know, it's never an easy SEC schedule, and I don't think they have one. I think this is a good schedule. I think it'll really challenge them. Uh, but, again, I think they have a chance right out of the gate – to make some things happen. You open up at Vandy. Then you host Florida, who's picked second in the East. Then you go to A&M. Then you host Arkansas, which is good. I mean, that's the thing, too. You, you look at these schedules and you think, you know, you want to host these toss-up or worse series. They do. Then they travel to Mississippi State. They host LSU. They host Georgia, which should be a win. They're at Missouri, which should be a win. They get Auburn and Oxford. They go to Tuscaloosa, and that's it. And so if you're all mess, you think if we can just survive, you know, these first you know couple weeks of the conference schedule, we got a chance. And, again, it's going to boil down to pitching. You know, it, it is. And, uh, of course, they, they lose some big players. They do. But, you know, listen, all mess is recruited at a high enough level. They're going to they're hang around. 
I mean, that's one thing. I know that, you know, Ole Miss fans were really down on Bianco last year, but the guy has been incredibly consistent. Does a great job in the postseason managing. I think some of that's from, coming from the uh, the school of Skip Burpman. Bianco's a good coach. And it's like in the offseason a year ago, everybody wanted to fire him after we won an AFL championship. And what does he do? He gets up off the mat, goes and wins one himself. And so what, even though I don't like those guys, I respect that baseball program. I respect Mike Bianco. I think most people should. But uh, I'm going to do my predictions next week and kind of see how this thing plays out. But um, it's kind of like you look at OSU and Tennessee – and they should be runaway winners in their division. And then after that, I think you can pretty much shake it up, especially in the West. And then in the East, I think, you know, I think there's probably three teams that could win the East, Tennessee, Florida, or Vanderbilt. But I think Tennessee is probably head and shoulders ahead of that, that group. But I think the West, you know, because like you begin to think about how big these weekends are. You need teams like Auburn and Alabama to pick off a game. You don't need Alabama or Auburn getting swept unless it's being swept by us, right? I mean, you just need them to kind of do their part so people can't get a leg up on you. you got to avoid those three-game sweeps whenever you can, and you got to hope that your competition isn't in the same process of kind of putting together a three-game sweep. But that's, that's the way you get ahead in the standings. But, um, again, not a lot of expectations from Mississippi State this year, and I think many of you kind of embrace that. I, I kind of like it when we're expecting to be good. But I think we're better than people expect – and I think we're going to prove that. And it's going to take a little while for us to do it. And it may be when we go to Frisco. That may be when we have to go out there and prove ourselves. You know, of course, you get, you know, three power five opponents out there. You got a chance to go play against some named teams, you know, Oklahoma, UCLA. You know, you got some teams out there that, that can play by our cow, excuse me. You got some teams out there that can play. And so the non-conference schedule for us is challenging. And uh, I, I don't know that we um, – have overloaded ourselves, though, if that makes sense. I think we've, we've scheduled smart early in the schedule to kind of allow us the opportunity to settle the rotation and settle those roles in the bullpen. You know, we, and we're, we're going we're gonna to hit this thing wide open, too. You know, it's like – so from February 18th – excuse me, 17th to February 26th, we're playing eight games. We're going to be busy. We're going to be absolutely be busy. You know, VMI last year was a losing team. You know, U Monroe, she U Monroe, right? And then Arizona State didn't have a great year last year, but that's a name program with a lot of pride. But you look at this and you begin to think you, you ought to be, we ought to, we need to sweep the first series. You know, we need to really go into Arizona State five and zero. Oh. We do, and then maybe you drop one against Arizona State. And it makes you 7-1 and one, uh, against Southern Miss that lost a lot last year, but that's a program that's really kind of come on here in the last couple of years. And they embarrassed us last year at Trustmark. They did. We, you know, we just, we just simply couldn't get it done. We couldn't move runners. We couldn't hold runners. They dominated the game. And then we head to Frisco. That's the first weekend in March, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Cal. And so – I think that gives us a chance to prove it. But, you know, that, a win over Southern Miss in the midweek is a pretty loud win because of their recent success. But uh, I think my honest opinion is if we take care of business, I think we'll be a ranked team headed to Frisco. And at the end of the day, the only rankings that count are the last ones anyway, right? And that's the ones we want to be in. And we want to be, have a single-digit number next to our name. But, I, again, I think we're a team that's capable of being in a regional hosting conversation 
I think we're more than likely a two-seat on the road somewhere, and I don't think anybody's going to want to see us coming. But I think all of you probably see it the way that I do. we got to find a way to wash this bitter taste out of our mouth. All right, if you haven't done so, the best way to relive that 2021 NAFL championship is to read my book, Dogpile. You can go to dogpilethebook.com. That's D-A-W-G-P-I-L-E, thebook.com. And you get signed to personalized copies right there. Many of you are thinking, Steve, I can't wait for college baseball. Well, read Dogpile. It'll remind you of the magic, how much fun we had. It's an important aspect of things. I think every Bulldog fan in the world needs a copy of that book. Even if you don't read, you need to have it. This is, is a collector's item. And so go to dogpilethebook.com. Valentine's Day is coming up. You know, now it's a good time to maybe impress your sweetie. Get them a signed copy of Dogpile. And uh, while you're there, you can get Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksAmillion.com. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you find it at StarkVillains.com. Uh, we had a lot of people buy T-shirts and hoodies for Christmas. And, you know, your Valentine's uh, Day is coming up, too. Maybe that's a good gift for you as well. All right, listen, thanks so much for uh, your support of the Boneyard. I, I'm trying to be a little more regular now that uh, life is kind of calming down for me. I, I don't know what the next trip is. Uh, it'll depend on kind of what happens this week. Uh, we, you know, will I be headed back out to New Mexico? You know, you begin to ask yourself, do I want to go that far? just to go out there and spend a couple days uh, knowing she's going to be home here in three weeks from today. Not that I'm counting, but three weeks from today, she'll be back. And uh, I will tell you this, too. I, uh, she's already got her, uh, her Christmas stuff, and, and then she's got her Valentine's Day stuff. And I forgot that I bought her some other stuff for Christmas late that came in late, and I said, well, I'll just wait and give it to her for Valentine's, and then I forgot that I had it. So she's got a lot of stuff get, coming for Valentine's Day, probably the best Valentine's Day of her life. But... Um, I wrote a song about her and uh, had some folks at Songfinch record it for me. And uh, so I sent them a song. They tweaked it a little bit and uh, did a great job. And uh, she was absolutely blown away. I am a writer. You know, some probably a little better skilled at that than other people. And I was a musician for a while. But the reality of it is, is that um, it meant a lot to me to hear my words set the music and have somebody that can sing much better than me record it. So... It's not too late. You got eight days. Maybe you can go jump on one of those uh, websites. I went to Songfinch, and um, it's pretty cool. You know, some of it's kind of, I've looked at some of the stuff too, like some of the videos, like it's kind of cringe, some of it. Um, but it's about you. You know, it's about you putting your own spin on things. And then, again, I think the best thing to do is, you know, write the things that you want to make sure you get in the song. And um, so, yeah, it was great. And so, I encourage you again, no matter if you buy my books or my merchandise or whatever, or follow my lead, do something special for the person that you love for Valentine's Day. Do, do it. When I, I, mean, I don't know how much time I have left. Do you? Right. How many times do you find, well, I wish I had more of this. I wish I had more time. Let's take advantage of the moments that are in front of us. You know, and she doesn't know this. She's got something else coming for Valentine's Day too. So. Um, I'm a hopeless romantic, but I, I tell you this, that the longer that I live, the more I appreciate the people in my life that are close to me. And, uh, and so again, I, again, it kind of hammers at home when somebody you love is in crisis, right? But I encourage you as always do something special. Whatever, every time somebody makes these little posts on Facebook and they're getting engaged, I always write a lot of dozen things. And one of the things that I talk about is, uh, making a big deal out of her birthday, even when she tells you not to, because she doesn't mean it. Right? She may not want you to spend the money, but you can still make a big deal out of stuff. You can do something thoughtful or creative for a birthday or for Valentine's Day 
It means an awful lot. Thoughtfulness and effort go a long way in relationships. Sometimes you just go buy somebody something and you call it a day. Uh, I put a lot of thought and effort into the things that I buy, but uh, I just encourage you as always, Valentine's Day is eight days away. Maybe take them to Bulldog Burger Company for a, a meal. You know, maybe take her to their favorite restaurant. Surprise her. Do something special. And ladies, you're not off the hook either. Valentine's Day is not just about you being courted. You know, this is a partnership. There are some things that you can do for us. You know, and sometimes too, it's like, for me, the best gifts are stuff I never see coming. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, well, she'll, she'll take me out to dinner and, you know, we'll go to movies. Maybe I get a massage out of the deal, whatever. But, you know, when I went out to New Mexico, I'm opening up a package and it's ski gear. I've never been skiing before. And I'm so glad that I went. I wasn't very good at it. I loved it, though. And I want to be good at it. So I'm going to go back a little more often. But the reality of it is, it's time and effort and thoughtfulness go a long way in relationships. And so I just encourage you, no matter if you're new in a relationship or in a longstanding relationship, do something special for the person in your life you love the most on Valentine's Day. Absolutely do it. It'll make you and them feel better. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about. In your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive. And that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.